We open the Holy Scriptures to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The basis of scripture, we consider Lord's Day 19, the last question and answer. Question and answer 52. which instructs us concerning the Bible's teaching about the return of Christ and the final judgment. What comfort is it to thee that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? That in all my sorrows and persecutions with uplifted head, I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake at the tribunal of God, and has removed all curse from me, to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, when our Lord ascended into heaven, he left behind a promise, the promise that he would come again, the promise that was voiced by the angels who appeared on the Mount of Olives in Acts 1 verse 11, where those angels said, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him, go into heaven. Lord's Day 19 explains to us the article of the Apostles' Creed, which expresses that wonderful truth of the Word of God. The truth of the Word of God that we consider here is what the Bible has to say about the end of the world. In our day and age, there's often bursts of talk about the end of the world. A frenzy of worry which quickly calms down. The Bible, the Word of God, tells us about how the world will actually end. And this is a truth that doesn't frighten us, or doesn't need to frighten us. 
but rather is a truth that the Bible presents and our catechism explains in a very positive way as one which should comfort us because this world, this creation will come to its end when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back to judge all men. And that judgment day will be the day of final redemption. For it will be the day when Jesus' kingdom will fully come. And when Jesus will take his people who he has purchased with his blood. To be with him forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. That last day, the day of Christ, will be the final page of the history of this world. And with the turning of that page, we will be brought into the next chapter of God's counsel. The chapter which has no end, everlasting life to come. And so, the truth that we consider this morning is one that is warm. And is one that is for our comfort, even while... It is a serious and sobering truth which sets before us the last days in which we live and the last days which will come in which there will be much evil. And yet in facing it, we may rest assured that Christ our Lord is the victor. Christ our Lord comes to judge. We're going to look at this last question and answer of Lord's Day 19 in connection with Psalm 126, another psalm of degrees, and perhaps it strikes us as unusual to consider this psalm in connection with this Lord's Day, perhaps. Psalm 126 was a psalm most likely penned following or at the return of the captives from Babylon. It's a psalm that celebrates God's Restoration of the captives, bringing them back from Babylon, back to the land of Israel. The psalm speaks a couple of times about the Lord bringing the captivity home. It's a a psalm celebrating the great redemptive and delivering acts of God. But this psalm also has parts of it that point ahead. It has a prophetic, indeed a messianic element, pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. And we find that especially in the last couple verses of the psalm. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The image is of a farmer who has toiled long and hard in the field, breaking up the hard earth, planting his seeds, cultivating those seeds. And there is many There are many tears as he goes through that hard labor, but then he comes back later at the harvest time with joy to bring in his sheaves. And that is a beautiful agricultural image of the last days and the days, the day when Jesus returns. Is it not Jesus Who called himself in Matthew 9.38. The Lord of the harvest. Did not John the Baptist say that Jesus will gather his wheat into his garner. But he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. It is to this. The coming again of Jesus for the harvest. That Psalm 126 
ultimately points to. So let's consider the return of our Savior Judge. The return of our Savior Judge. We're first going to look at the last days. The last days prior to the return of our Savior Judge. Then we will look at the last day. The day upon which our Savior Judge returns. And then finally, some applications. Comfort for today. As we look forward to that day. We start with the last days. And something that's important for us to understand is that in the Bible, the term the last days has a broader meaning than we often use that term. Often in our day-to-day conversation about spiritual things, we will use the term last days to refer to the very last days. That is, those days right before Jesus comes again. And there's nothing wrong with using the term in that way. But in the Bible, the term has a bit of a broader meaning. The last days refers to all of the days leading up to the day of Jesus Christ. That is, the term last days refers to the entire New Testament age. From the day of Jesus' ascension to the day of his second coming. The whole New Testament age is called the last days because it is the last era of the history of this world. It is the last chapter of God's counsel for this present creation before the return of Christ and the inauguration of the age that is to come. Let's see that the Bible uses this term in this broader way. One example is Hebrews 1 verse 2. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, we are told that God in times past in the Old Testament spoke to us through the prophets. But now verse 2 says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. These last days, what are they? The New Testament age. The age that will conclude with the coming of Jesus Christ. So that means you and I live in the last days right now. In fact, God's people have lived in the last days for 2,000 years now. Ever since the ascension of Jesus Christ. How much longer the last days will last, we don't know. Because we don't know the date and time of Jesus' second coming. It is not God's good pleasure to put that on the calendar for us. Jesus' disciples wanted to know. You can read about that in Matthew 24 where they ask Jesus, when shall these things come to pass? Referring to the events right before Jesus' second coming. And Jesus says, the day and the hour no man knows. Only my Father which is in heaven. And so, we can't search it out. We can't discover it. We can't put it on the calendar. Jesus is going to return on this exact day. God is not pleased to reveal that to us. Nonetheless, God has not left us in the dark. He has given us signs, the signs of the times, certain markers which, as it were, shows us our progress through the last days so that we can readily perceive that the day of Jesus Christ is getting closer. Scriptures always present the the day of Jesus Christ, the day of his return, as being at hand. It is God's will that his people live with a sense of expectancy, of a sense of urgency, looking ahead to Jesus' coming. 
though how long it will yet be, we do not know. Our calling is not to try to predict or to try to put a date on the calendar. Our calling is to watch and to pray and to be diligent in the Lord's service that we be found faithful when he comes. So the last days, that's the whole New Testament age. We are living in the last days. Now what does the Bible have to say about the character of these last days in which we live? The whole New Testament age. Much could be said, but I want to point out especially two things that the Bible teaches about the character of the last days. First, from one point of view, the last days, our days, are very exciting days. They are exciting days because they are days in which God works mightily to bring salvation to his people. That is to apply all of the blessings that Jesus Christ earned on the cross of Calvary. The Bible tells us a whole lot that is positive about the last days. Sometimes I think We can forget that because we focus so much on the gloomier parts of the last days. And that's important, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But let that not lead us to forget all of the positive that the Bible says about the last days. The last days are not Satan's days. They are Jesus' days. Earlier in Lord's Day 19, we received instruction about what Jesus is doing right now. He is seated at God's right hand in royal splendor, in absolute power. The last days are the days of Jesus' reign at his Father's right hand in heaven. They are the days in which Jesus is doing his work of gathering his people through the preaching of the gospel. The last days are Jesus' days. That's very positive. That's the perspective of the Gospels and the book of Acts. The book of Acts, which is the inspired record of the opening days of the last days. And the book of Acts teaches us something of the character of the entire New Testament age. Something of what all of the last days are going to be like. And the book of Acts records the going out of the Gospel. And the building of the Holy Catholic Church of Jesus Christ. The last days are the days of the Great Commission. They are the days of the Lord of the Harvest sending out his laborers. They are the days of the church being gathered from every nation, tribe, and tongue. They are the days of the white horse running. They are the days of the ascended Lord by His gospel storming strongholds of sin, winning elect souls by the irresistible advance of His white horse and its salvation-bringing conquest. The last days, from this perspective, are days of light. We are not in the days of shadows and types anymore, but in the days of fulfillment with the full gospel of Jesus Christ given to the church that we might bring that gospel to even the darkest places of the world. To earth's remotest bound. The last days are the days of the kingdom of Christ coming. These are the days... Of harvest. You go back to the end of Psalm 126. Here you have Old Testament believers celebrating the great 
act of God's deliverance, bringing them out of the land of their captivity, Babylon, and bringing them back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. Psalm 126 is a psalm of joy, exclaiming that joy in what God has done. And that's the joy that we are to have in the last days. We celebrate the great deliverance from our captivity, that is, the saving work of Christ that He has accomplished on His cross. And now in these last days, we are enjoying the fruits of that work, and we are bringing the fruits of that work into the world through the preaching of the gospel, by which means the ascended Christ gathers his elect people. Time passed in the former ages of this world. It was the time of preparation. It was the time of looking ahead. It was the time of waiting. But the last days are the days of the harvest. When Jesus came the first time, He came sowing in tears that He might later reap in joy. He came as the man of sorrows to bear our sins, to suffer and die for us that He might establish His kingdom Through the shedding of his blood. And now that Jesus has sown in tears that he might reap in joy. He has brought about this harvest time. Which is the New Testament. The day in which he works by his gospel to reap the fields that are white for the harvest. What an exciting time to live. That's our day. The day of the harvest. The day when the Lord of the harvest is busy gathering his sheaves. And that's the main reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet. He will come back on the day that is appointed. But he will not come back before he has gathered every last sheave of his into his barn. Saved every last one of the people given to him by God the Father. That's what 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says. Where the Apostle Peter instructs worried waiters in the church. Who are wondering why hasn't Jesus come back yet. Peter says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. But is long suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Jesus The Lord of the harvest will make sure every single one of his elect people, every single sheep lost in the dark places of this world is gathered in, brought to faith and repentance, and then he will come. So that's what we want to see in the first place. The the last days are positive. They're the days of the victorious going out of the gospel, the gathering in of the harvest. Yet, from another point of view, and an important one, the last days are dark days. Days of trouble. The opening words of answer 52 describes the experience of the church and indeed every believer in the last days. That in all my sorrows and persecutions. Dark days. Not dark because the powers of darkness prevail. They don't. 
These are the days of the harvest. These are the days of Christ the King's victorious conquest. But they are the days of the serpent's death throes. On the cross, Christ crushed the head of the serpent, defeated decisively the devil and his powers. And now, through the last days, throughout the entirety of the New Testament age, the doomed serpent thrashes about. The doomed powers of evil fight like mad because they know they're doomed. And so there is a certain darkness to the last days. And you see that in the book of Acts as well. It's a striking thing. The book of Acts records the running of the white horse, that is the the going out of the gospel, irresistibly conquering elect souls from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And at the same time, the book of Acts records persecution, great persecution against the disciples of Jesus Christ. Go through your knowledge of biblical history and you'll see these two things side by side in the book of Acts. Right at the beginning of the book, we're told the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. But just a couple chapters later, we're reading about Stephen being stoned for his witness. And then in Acts 8, the persecution initiated by Saul, yet unconverted, which persecution scattered the believers of Jerusalem to the other cities of Judea, Samaria, and further. Acts 8 through 11 records the wonderful victories of gospel conquest, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, and the conversion of the Roman centurion Cornelius. And yet in Acts chapter 12, we read about Herod putting the apostle James to death. Or think about Paul's missionary journeys gospel conquest with persecution and adversity. Right there with it. Go to Philippi. Just one city on his second missionary journey. Where one day he is at the riverside. And there is the beautiful conversion of Lydia and others. And a church is established in Philippi. And not too many days later. Paul and Silas are bloodied. Chained up in the jail in Philippi. Singing psalms in the night. These two together. That's the last days for the church. Look at Paul and Silas a moment. And there you see the victory. Bloodied, but unbeaten. Persecuted, but not destroyed. Bound, yet free. Singing psalms of praise to God in the night. That's the church in the last days. Even when those last days are dark. Yet defiantly and triumphantly the church sings the psalms of praise to God in the night. Because she knows her victory in Jesus Christ. And she counts it a privilege to suffer her tribulation for Jesus' sake. Because the church follows her master's footsteps. Suffering for him who first suffered for her. She, she, like her master, enters into glory through suffering. Jesus doesn't conquer and doesn't establish his kingdom the way worldly kings do through the sword. Jesus establishes his kingdom through suffering. 
And that's why Jesus will always be a disappointment to the earthly minded. But is glorious to those who have been renewed by the work of the Spirit and given faith to trust in His name. He is the conquering Savior who conquers in the most marvelous way through His death upon the cross. So, as we live in the last days, let us be optimistic, not pessimistic. But let us be optimistic in a way that is both biblical and realistic. It's a common error in our day to say that the last days are just going to be peachy. Because the world's going to be Christianized. And the institutions of this world are going to become Christian. And there's going to be this great kingdom of God upon earth. And that's not going to happen. That's not what the Bible says. That's not the picture of the last days that were given in the book of Acts. Yes, there is victory. Yes, there is conquest. But it's not this kind. It's not the earthly carnal kind. It's not the kind that the Jews of Jesus' day wanted. And that the hearts of men naturally want. A visible earthly kingdom here and now. But the conquest of the Ascended Christ is the conquest of souls by the preaching of the gospel, the gathering in of the harvest for the kingdom that will be made perfect in the age to come. Our hope is not for a kingdom here on this earth or a Christianized world. That's not going to happen. Acts, the book of Acts shows us the trajectory of the last days, the trajectory of history. God's people are gathered. By the preaching of the gospel. And at the same time that gospel rouses the world and the powers of darkness to ever fiercer persecution. So that as the last days progress, there will be a downward spiral of unbelieving humanity. Even as God's elect are gathered from it. So that brings us to the last thing to consider in the first point. The very last days. The last days are the whole New Testament age. But what does the Bible have to tell us about the very last days? Those days right before Jesus comes again. The Bible presents the very last days as the nightfall of this age. When it will get very dark for a very short time. Just before the break of the new everlasting day. The very last days will appear to be the days of evil's victory. Matthew 24, verses 11 through 14, you have Jesus' own description of these very last days. Matthew 24 is Jesus' sermon on the end times. Let's read what he says about the very last days, right before his coming. Matthew 24, verses 11 through 14. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. There will be a downward spiral. Both in society 
and in what is called religion, what is called the church. As the Lord of the harvest gathers his last elect sheaves from the field of the world, the spiritual fields of the world will become barren, full of tares and chaff. Iniquity will abound. The love of many will wax cold. The true church of Jesus Christ in the world will become small. As many who outwardly affiliated themselves with the church will depart. This fits, doesn't it, with the Old Testament pictures of the very last days. The most prominent being the flood of Noah's day. What was the world like right before God came with judgment in the flood? There was a downward spiral. There was a great departure. The true church of that day became very small down to the household of Noah. Evil was at its worst. And that's when God came in judgment. And that's a picture of how things will be at the very last days. The very end of this present age. It will be nightfall. But short. The day will swiftly dawn. Now the Bible reveals two major events that will take place in the last hours of the very last days. Right before Jesus returns. The first of those events is the rise of Antichrist. 1 John 2 verse 18 says this. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. John's point there is that the spirit of antichrist, that is the principle of sin in the heart of man that is against God and wants to establish a kingdom of man without God, that spirit is always at work in the world. But as we progress through the last days, that spirit is going to gain traction. And eventually it will culminate in one particular individual, a very real human person, who will be the Antichrist. Who will unite the world under his banner against truth and righteousness and the people of God. He will set himself against Christ. And exalt himself in the place of Christ. And he will then initiate what is called the Great Tribulation. The greatest persecution of the church. Which will be fierce, but will last for a very short time. Jesus speaks of that Great Tribulation in Matthew 24. If we turn back to Matthew 24 and look at verses 21 through 22. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. They will be shortened by the coming of Jesus Christ precisely at the time appointed. When it is darkest, 
The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings and spread those wings over His people. And He will arise with fire in His eyes as the judge and destroyer of the Antichrist. And all His and our enemies. Precisely when it seems the powers of darkness have won. That will be the moment of their catastrophic defeat. Just as the evil world exalted and lifted itself up. Even to the day that Noah boarded the ark. And then the rains of judgment came upon them. So it shall be on the day of Christ when he returns. Some comfort for today. Comfort for today is the third point, but we need to take a little bit of it and sprinkle it in here and now. We live in these last days. And we need to be sober about that. We need to be optimistic, biblically optimistic, so that we don't just sit in fear, but are busy in the work of the Lord, shining the light of the gospel into the dark places of the world. This is the day of the Great Commission, the day of the running of the white horse. Let's be excited about that. But we must be sober. We must not look for an earthly kingdom to come. It's not going to. Humanity, through the course of the last days, spirals down deeper into depravity, making itself ripe for the judgment of the returning Christ. The last days, as we get closer to the very last days, will get darker from a spiritual perspective. But as we see that looming darkness here and now, Don't dread it. Don't be terrified by it. Remember, these are Jesus' days. They are not Satan's days. Even when the Antichrist arises, it's not his day, but it's Christ's day. The last days, though they be dark, the darkness serves the light. By God's design, they shall be dark so that the light may shine all the more brilliantly when it appears. If it is God's will for you and for me to live through those very last days, those last hours of history, He will give you the grace you need to sustain you when you need it. Jesus Himself says that. For the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. That shows us God holds those days in His hand. And like everything else, He governs those days for the good and salvation of His church. Even in the very last hours of the last days, Jesus' word remains true. Not a hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your heavenly Father. And when he suffers a hair to be plucked from your head, or much more, he will ultimately turn it to your profit. Think about how God gave grace to the apostles to sustain the persecution they did in the opening days of the last days. God will give that same grace to his people who live in the last of the last days. Let Jesus' words be pressed upon our hearts in John 16, verse 33. 
In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Or Luke 21 verse 28 where Jesus says, When these things begin to come to pass, talking about the darkness of the last days. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. You see, that's the posture of the Christian throughout the last days. Our posture is uplifted head. That in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, I look for Jesus Christ. The last days culminate in the last day. The last day when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. And that's what we turn to look at now for a few moments. The last day. The greatest day. The day that the Bible everywhere calls the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. Not because every other day isn't his day. We've already seen that. Every day is Jesus' day. But the last day shall be Jesus' day in a special and wonderful sense. The Bible calls the last day the day of Jesus' return, the day of Christ. Because it will be the day that in the dark of night, that is, from a spiritual perspective, when things have gotten as bad as they've ever gotten in this world, in that darkness, the light of the Son of Righteousness will blaze through this world. The Lord Jesus will return in the splendor of His glory as the victor, Savior, Judge. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This will be the last and final and culminating stage of his state of exaltation. It's the one stage that is yet to come. Resurrection. Ascension. Session at God's right hand. Where Jesus is now. Governing the preaching of the gospel for the salvation of his people. And this last stage. The pinnacle of his glory is yet to come. His second coming. On the day of Christ. As the victor, savior, judge. On that day. Jesus will be supremely glorified in his human nature. His victory over sin, Satan, the wicked world will be made full and final and publicly manifest. At last, all of his enemies and ours, which according to God's purposes were allowed to thrash around for a little while, now they will be decisively and finally put under his feet. That's the goal. That's the goal of all history. That's the day that every single other day serves. Today, tomorrow, and as many days are left in the chapter of history entitled New Testament Age. Every day serves the coming of this day. The day of Jesus' glory and the manifestation of his power. 
We looked a little bit at the character of the last days. Let's look at the character of the last day, the day of Christ. We've already gotten into it. It's a day of glory. That's especially what the scripture emphasizes. Back in Matthew 24, verses 30 through 31, Jesus describes his day. Here's Jesus' own description of the day of his return. Verses 30 and 31. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to another. Revelation 1 verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. What a glorious picture of the coming Savior judge. Such a positive picture for believers For the one who comes is our Savior. And He comes to bring us the last act of His redemptive work. And He comes as judge. A terrifying sight to the wicked of the world. To the Antichrist. To all who do not believe and persecute the church. He comes with fire in His eyes. Fire of the very holiness of God. Glory. Power. That will be the day of Jesus Christ. He will come personally, visibly, back to this earth in his glorified body. Like the angel said in Acts 1 verse 11, the same manner that Jesus went up, he will come down. No wonder, wonder of God, he shall be seen by all. The world over. God will manifest His Son. The victor, Savior, Judge. It will be the greatest day. On that greatest day. The last day. Jesus will judge. As the Apostles' Creed says, He comes from thence to judge the living and the dead. That's the great last work that the Bible emphasizes Jesus comes to perform on the day that He returns. He will come to judge all men and all angels. Christ will sit upon the throne. The throne as judge. And there will be gathered before Him All human beings who have ever lived. And he will pronounce the just and holy sentence that determines the eternal destiny of every person. If you go back to Matthew 24 and then flip a page or two to Matthew 25. You will find Jesus' own description of the final judgment over which he will preside. Matthew 25 Verses 31 and 32. 
When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. A great separation. All humanity will be gathered before Him. The living, that is those who are alive on the day of His coming, and the dead, He will raise All of the dead calling the bodies from the graves. And their souls from either heaven or hell will be reunited with their raised bodies. So that all human beings will stand before the judge. And Jesus will pronounce his sentence. It will be a final, public, universal judgment. The books will be opened. Nothing will be hidden. All the works of men, even the hidden works of darkness, will be brought to light and weighed in the scales of the perfect one. And Jesus will give his sentence. The sentence that stands forever. The sentence that determines the eternal destiny of man. And every sinner not covered in the blood of Christ will be justly sentenced to eternal death. Perhaps it sounds dreadful, terrifying. After all, our consciences are perhaps awakened now and begin accusing us with our sins. How shameful it would be, it will be, we might think, to have all of our sins laid out before the eyes of all. We need not fear a final judgment. No one will be standing there on the last day. Looking proudly down upon his neighbor. Everyone standing there will be impressed with the sense of their own sins. We will see our own sinfulness like never before. But then there's this. We will see God's grace like never before. We shall see ourselves as God sees us, robed in the righteousness of Christ, covered in His blood. And we shall hear from the judge's own mouth that blessed sentence, righteous, worthy of eternal life. Not of works of righteousness you have done, but based upon the works of righteousness that I, your Savior judge, have done for you. Believer in Christ, you have nothing to fear. On the last day. You have nothing to fear. In the final judgment. You would have much to fear. If you had to depend upon yourself. Or upon your own righteousness. Or anything in you. But you don't and you mustn't. You are secure. Because of what the Savior judge. Has done for you. Satan and his host, like Pharaoh in the Red Sea, will be drowned in the lake of fire. The unbelieving wicked will be condemned. But as Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, judgment day is your redemption day. So we look forward to it. We look forward to the final judgment. It will be the day of the defeat of evil and our enemies. It will be the day when 
justice is perfectly done. It will be the day when God's righteousness is made manifest. His cause vindicated and all moral rational creatures will be compelled to bow before him. And that final judgment day will be the hinge upon which the door into the age to come swings open. The last day, the day of Christ, is really the beginning of the everlasting day. Everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. The last day, what a great day. So lastly this morning, the truth of this Lord's Day leaves us with much comfort for today. Much comfort for today. And while much could be said here, I simply want to focus our attention on one significant comfort. The comfort that we have now, as we wait for Jesus to return, and as we anticipate my final judgment, and the comfort for you Today, beloved, is this. You know the judge's sentence ahead of time. You know exactly what Jesus is going to say about you at the final judgment. And this comforts us and calms what is our greatest fear About the end of the world. Yes. Our flesh trembles. When we think about the great tribulation. And we think about the darkness. And the persecution that will come in the very last days. And there's comfort for us here in that. When Jesus returns. All of that will be put to rest. And our enemies done away with. But even greater. Than fear of tribulation. And even greater thing with which we wrestle is a disquieted conscience. Because I know my sin. The sins I commit every single day. Or perhaps the sins of youth. That rise up against me and prick my conscience and disquiet my soul. And then when I think about a final judgment. When everything is going to be laid out. I tremble. Comfort for you, believer. Today is this. You know the sentence ahead of time. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. That's your sentence, believer. No condemnation because you are in Jesus. And the Bible tells you that sentence ahead of time. That's what the gospel is. The good news announcing the sentence of the just judge. And the Bible can tell you the sentence ahead of time because... Of what the judge has already done for you. Jesus is Savior judge. And the word Savior belongs first. In the first position. Savior judge. Before he comes again as your judge. He first came as your Savior. Before he does the work of final judgment. He did the work of salvation. You know this judge. He's your savior. 
You're united to him. You belong to him. That, that's the beauty of answer 52. You'll notice that answer 52 focuses all of its instruction about the final judgment on comfort. I look for the very same person who offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God. And has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven. Let's bring out a couple of aspects of this. In the first place, your judge is your high priest. When he came the first time, he came to be the Passover lamb. And he came to be the perfect priest who offered the perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice of himself which was sin atoning, justice satisfying, wrath appeasing. Jesus is your Passover and his perfect sacrifice causes judgment to pass over you. Jesus took responsibility for all of your crimes against the king and creator of heaven and earth. He went to the tribunal of God and took the sinner's death sentence upon himself. He removed all curse from you. As Galatians 3.13 says, Jesus was made a curse for us. The curse is simply God's death sentence against the sinner. Jesus took it. He redeemed you with his blood. Reconciled you to God. Secured forgiveness and righteousness for you. Your priest will be your judge. Will the judge then undo what he did as priest? If the judge as your priest died to save you from judgment, will he then negate his own work? Will the second coming of Christ be the undoing of the first? Of course not. Jesus' second coming for judgment will be the crowning. Of the work of his first coming. His coming as judge will demonstrate. The perfection of his work as savior. Fear not. Believing sinner. But trust. In your savior judge. But there's more. Connect. The teaching of question and answer 52. Back. To Lord's day 18. The first part of answer 49. Where we're told that Jesus is our advocate in the presence of his father in heaven. Your judge is also your advocate. Think about what that means. Your advocate is the one who's going to be sitting on the judgment throne. To put it, to put it in earthly terms. Your lawyer is your judge. The one who has been spending all of the time of your whole life in heaven advocating for you at the right hand of his father. The one who has been pleading your cause and pointing to his perfect finished work on the cross as the reason for your forgiveness. He's the one who's going to be sitting on the judgment seat. At the final judgment, he's going to say the same thing he's been saying in heaven throughout your whole life. His word as judge is not going to differ from his word as advocate. So make that personal. Is there a sin that scares you right now? Something in your life that when you take it and you set it alongside final judgment, it makes you tremble? This is going to come up? 
It already came up. Jesus, your high priest, took it up. And he nailed it to the cross. And Jesus, your advocate, brought it up before the face of his heavenly Father and said, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her for the sake of my shed blood. Jesus, your judge, isn't going to condemn you for it on the last day. He's going to say the same thing he's been saying all along. Your sin is pardoned. Enter into the rest of your Lord. That's the comfort we need now. As we wrestle against sin, as we wrestle against the powers of darkness, let us be assured that in Christ we have the victory. And nothing can pluck us from our Savior Judge's hand. And so even in the last days, even as those last days get dark, we sing Psalm 126. Christ came, he sowed in tears that he might reap in joy. And because Jesus has sowed in tears, we have this joy. As we think about the final judgment in the last day, let these be our words. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. And our tongue with singing. The Lord hath done great things for us. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, grant that this word may strengthen us for life in the last days, that we might, even in our sorrows and tribulations, have our heads lifted up. Grant that we may be comforted as well, as we battle against sin, knowing thy sentence towards us in Jesus Christ, that we shall not be condemned on that last day, but acquitted at thy judgment seat for his sake. Strengthen us by thy gospel to persevere and to sing joyfully even in the night seasons. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.